So our gospel text today comes from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Jesus still speaking. You have heard it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you to take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your neighbors and pray for those that persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rains on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be an honor and a glory to you. Amen. So it's fitting that Jesus here moves from last week's topic, oaths, to where we are today. Because it's no accident that Jesus goes to eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Because the Torah rule that we read today is the rule of retribution for false witness. Because let's face it, it's evil to lie and break an oath or a covenant. But you well, might as well be making an oath or a covenant with evil itself if you by an oath can look at somebody who's innocent and say she did it on a witness stand. You see, Jesus at this part of his sermon is crescendoing. We've been talking about legalism and how to avoid it. He's been talking about avoiding anger. And he has been applying the law in new ways. He's rejected anger, curtailed selfish desires. He's insisted on straightforward truth. And from truth, Jesus today gets to retribution. He's going to set his capstone to all of his teaching on the law with love thine enemies so you may be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This truth is an interesting but fitting launching point for retribution. Because perjury can kill. If you lie on the witness stand and they lynch the guy. Jesus has also said, though, we have to avoid legalism. Even in the best circumstances where all the witnesses are telling the truth, what can we do to make things right? We have been going on again and again up in this pulpit late recently that the not breaking the law of religion is not going to lead us to salvation. 
but Jesus is here drawing a very unique string because perjury parading is justice and actual just retribution. As St. Paul says in his letters, the law is only able to take life. Jesus is pulling this all up into the inability of the law to give life. You see, any spirit of legalism, they only have the ability to punish, whether right or wrong. See, Christ is up on the Sermon on the Mount, and he is not just preaching what Moses used to preach. He's not talking about the old way. Jesus Christ is preaching the kingdom come, the Holy Spirit, the new world, the new creation, giving life, resurrection, making alive. On what foundation can that stand? This is New Testament. Well, that's the point of today's reading. Because if we think about it, you've been in church for a while, you guys know who didn't resist false witnesses at his trial. Are you aware of someone who turned the other cheek when he was slapped by the high priest? And are you aware of a particular person that features in a couple books of the Bible who often went the extra mile when he was pressed? And do you know someone who suffered the full onslaught of the spirit of legalism when he was wrongly convicted. You hopefully know Jesus. And Jesus did all the things he has told us to do today according to scripture. And he did it all for a very specific reason. He did it because he loved his enemies. We're going to get on that one because to save us as Paul says, while we were enemies, Jesus did all those things. The whole Protestant experiment, church, foundation, is based on the idea we are not saved by ourselves. That is, we are not saved because we did some initial work of repenting, and then now we're good, or we did some initial work of doing good things, and then now we're saved. We are saved during the commission of our crimes, according to the gospel. We are saved as we stab Jesus to be grim. So we repent, we work, we trust, we pray, because Christ first loved us, enough to love us while we were sinning. So love your enemies, we think at it, is both the hardest, the highest, Jesus is crescendoing up to it, is the one that seems impossible, but it is also the foundational command of the Christian life, of imitating Christ. This is a hard faith gaze today, because we are gazing upon something that we see as hard, it's high, but it's also simple. It's also really silly to just forgive all our enemies. How is the world going to work if we do this, Jesus? This is too idealistic. This is a gaze that looks on all of that. Because it's to have the faith to look clearly at Jesus' life, but also his trial. And it is the gaze that takes you right up to looking at all the nasty Mel Gibson stuff of the cross. As scripture says... They look upon him that they pierced. 
And it's there, it is in this whole gospel gaze that the truthful heart sees something. If we are true with ourselves, we see failures, we see sins, we see just distance between us and God. All these things that put Christ into all those different situations. But there's an important part here. Jesus never in the entirety of the Bible ever says, make it up to me. He never says, make any retribution to me. He never says, yo, bro, that was over the line. You owe me five bucks. No. All Jesus does is he gazes upon us. In the Old Testament, they couldn't, they couldn't stand God's gaze, but this faith look is that gaze of Christ into each and every heart. And when you make eye contact with Jesus one to one, he is giving this love, but also this command. Love your enemies. Now, I'm not kidding you here. I can't tell you how to do that. But when Jesus is looking at us eye to eye, saying that we are like Peter, standing without the temple, standing outside on the trial. And like Peter, we make eye contact with Jesus while we were on the outside and we're asked by Christ himself, are you my disciple? We're asked by a perishing world that says, hmm, Christians don't seem to love other people much more than anyone else. Are you Jesus's disciple? And sometimes we are asked by the little servant here, are you his disciple? And like Peter, we can't even manage a yes. Love your enemies, I can assure you, is a costly yes. We talk about the cost of discipleship a lot, but love your enemies, that one's going to cost you. But as I told the children, even to just plain proverbial wisdom, the other option is a much more expensive no. Now, in the first part, Jesus uses two important words when it comes to resisting and not to do it. He talks about not resisting the evil person, and he talks about loving your enemies. Those are not words we typically associate with kind, gentle, give everybody group hugs Jesus. Or they're not words we tend to put on ourselves. Because can any heart say that I see myself as evil or an enemy of God? But at the same time, can any heart really say that we've never had any sense of animosity towards God, of just cold formality in our religion, of a distance between us and heaven? Or... If you're well on your Christian walk, can you say you've never been at least familiar with those things? All I can say on this when it comes to we were evil, we were enemies of God before we can save, sinless man, cast your stone at the pastor right now. Now I understand if you don't like that Puritan sounding thing. We're all sinners, you're bad people. Uh, uh, uh. However, I have to say it because we live in an era of therapeutic self-love. Because see, in this world, I'm good, I'm loved, I'm, I'm me. And this is a big stumbling block when it comes to loving your enemies because the danger is, it's not so much that I have to love the me in the enemy. It's not so much that I have to, when I come to the enemy, what is the choice? Self-preservation, protection in me and the other. 
But this self-love stuff, it doesn't even rise to the level of tolerance. You see, people are often content to only love the me in you. And I'm sorry, but I am less than impressed by some of our contemporary narratives wherein differences are overcome by sympathetic or emotional pleas to someone's similarity to somebody else. Now, I must be careful. Discovering shared humanity is a good thing. I don't want you to get me wrong on that. We could do a lot of it in our society. Yet the loving the me that I see in you is not really embracing our shared humanity. It is not overcoming differences. It's saying, oh, he's just like me, and I happen to like me. You see, many people in love with self will tolerate a lot of bad things in other people as long as they can see the good thing of themselves. They will preserve other people as long as they see that preserving the other person is some preservation of self. And that's where Jesus calls everybody out. He says even tax collectors, IRS agents, even pagans, gangbangers, they love the, the themselves that they see in somebody else. But notice how quickly tax agents, gangbangers, pagans will change when they no longer see the connection between them and someone else. They break down into tribalism, into riots, into hatreds, into a list of isms that are plaguing modern society. And I will not belabor my point, but I hope you can at least see that different than me is not the evil we are talking about. But we must confront that before we get here. Because many ponder why some of these isms, these social ills, we can't do anything about it. That's because we are learning only to love ourselves and to love the ourselves in others. Now, I just say this as a cultural break and something you should work on because we're not even getting up to the point that we're getting up to. Because we're getting to folks that are not just different. Jesus is saying you are to not resist those that are actually evil, not to resist those that are actual enemies. And in our era of loving myself and loving myself and others, the anti-me is anathema. That's cursed. But see, a real enemy hates you. If a real enemy, if she finds anything like me in herself, she'll cut it out and stomp it just for spite. True evil doesn't just not do good. It rejects good. It does evil for its own sake and hates good just for being good. That's the attitude of a true sinner towards God. When sin rules us, we try to snuff out things that are holy. And we need to get here so you understand your gospel, folks. Because when we are in that state, we don't want a God meddling. We hate God's rules. We hate any of talk about holy things or praying or any of that. But my friends, this is where the gospel comes in. If God was as selfish as us and he could only love us by seeing himself in us, by loving some reflection of himself within us, by some retained good, by some redeeming aspect, by some decent bits that we all kid ourselves we have, we would all alike have been lost. God looks upon the human race in its sinful state and sees nothing of himself. And that's the gaze of Jesus right here, folks. That's the gaze that made Peter weep. Jesus' love for us 
rest wholly on a other foundation. And that's where we're getting. It's one that no amount of godlessness, no amount of evil could shake. And I hope, I hope that you agree that it's foolish to say Jesus loved us because of our greed, our slander, our violence, and all the things we do to other people or to ourselves. But my friends, whatever the mysterious foundation of that love and mercy is, God so loved it that he sent his son to die for it. So he is not going to treat it as cheap, and he wants it in his people. Because that's what today's lesson comes down to. That's why Jesus is staring us in the eyes so hard. Because that love goes beyond just similarity, beyond just we are different and we can get along. This gets down to something that transcends moral and ethical differences. It overcomes blatant animosity. I can't tell you how to do this, but I can say the church is probably in this age called to repent how little progress she has made. You can talk to anyone about those hypocrites over in this church or that church, and you will hear the story over and over again, because this kind of love that loves its enemies can only be possible by the love of God itself living in and through us. This is James, show me your faith, works and I'll show you your faith. This must work through us. We must be open to it and there's no getting around it. We need to grasp this by whatever measure of grace we have. Because see, you can't, you can't work at loving unlovable people based off of general principles. Without the grace of God, there was an author who said it once, I've never been able to love anything that wasn't lovable just because of principle, and I've never been able to hate anything that wasn't really worth hating just because something told me I should. The only way forward with this is to seek God's love working within yourself, going deeper than me, than you, you know. But it is something that is going to shock us, that is going to be difficult, and I will give you a final example. There was a woman in LA living her regular life till one day three boys decided to pile up into probably what was an old Buick or an Oldsmobile or some piece of junk and go for a ride out in the ghetto. Unbeknownst to the youngest boy in the car, one of them was strapped, and at the end of the drive-by, our woman in question's son was dead in a gutter, and he wasn't even in a gang. And well, according to California law, even though the one boy didn't know what he was in for, every single person in the car is guilty of the crime. Legalistic justice would have left it there. And I don't know how we got out of that. I don't know how she got out of it. I don't know too many of the details. But that woman just happened to be a Christian. And I'm sure she went through a lot of hate, that she mourned the loss of her son, that she grieved. But by the time the L.A. news reporter had showed up 12 years later, she was the talk of the town. For that young man that had been riding in the back of the car that shot her son had become her new adoptive son. And through the work that these two were doing, 
The young man, who is now free from jail, was working with youth and preventing them from going down the same path he was doing. And that woman, who had lost her blood son, now had a house that was full of different youths that were engaging in different programs to beautify their neighborhood. And one of the most amazing things about it was even the cold LAPD. I don't give anyone a shred of mercy. Even they were amazed. But they were asking questions, and the questions still remain around that woman's life. How could she forgive him? How could you call him son? How could you stand to have the murderer of your child call you mother? But I think those questions dissipate when the young men and women whose lives those two have touched come home on Sunday, come home on Monday. Don't duck when a car goes driving by. For out of the loss of her son, she redeemed a whole neighborhood. So let that be a lesson about enemies and redemption. For out of the loss of his son, God redeemed a whole world. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we confess we have not been the best at loving our enemies. And Lord, we at times don't know how to handle evil people when we must think of society and making it function. Well, Lord, I pray for your church and for your people that the spirit of retribution would be far off from our hearts. But that spirit of redemptive, of self-sacrificing love may be made known to each and every one of us. Lord, we can only walk as far as your grace goes. We can only bear fruit as we abide in the vine. So Holy Spirit, by your power, make that invitation personal to everyone today, that they may know you, that they may join you in your work, and that they may rest in your eternal peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.